When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. As always, you're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network course on WWSRN on those iOS apps and presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we're going over the Thursday night recap in today's show and, of course, the late window of games for Week 10, which, as I commented on yesterday's show, we actually have more late window games this week than we do early window games. And I think that's the first time not only it's happened this year, but that might be the first time it's happened in quite some time that I can remember where the Friday show is actually the more jam-packed show of the two. But don't fret, we do have a mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show. Remember, if you ever want to get your question, your comment answered, possibly get on the show as well, all you have to do is hit us up on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow and make sure you check out our rankings, which are on BellyUpFantasySports.com. They're going to be updated throughout the weekend for you guys, especially after today when we get some more injury report news, some official injury report uh, you know, notifications that will be coming out from the teams after practices today. We do have the updates for you from yesterday's slate of games that we talked about. And if you missed yesterday's show, you can always go back on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you like to go. Or you can go on, more proficiently, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app on Android or WWSRN on iOS. So now that we got all that out the way, we have to kick things off here. I want to start off with the injury report. 
because you interrupted us from yesterday because I want to talk about that Thursday night game after the fact because there's some things that I want to go on a rant on that some are fantasy relevant, some not necessarily directly fantasy relevant, but could be in things to look for down the road. So there's quite a few things I want to cover in that game yesterday. A lot of things that had me raising my eyebrows, quite frankly. So let's start off with the injury updates from the games that we talked about in yesterday's show. Kicking it off with David Johnson. He continues not to practice. We talked about this yesterday that we do not think he's going to play on Sunday. We believe Duke Johnson will be the guy who'll get the full workload. And because he's in position to get the full workload, when you're looking at it from a half-point PPR league, when you're looking at the fact that they're probably going to have to throw the football predominantly to move the ball. The Browns have been decent against the run. Duke Johnson is not the most efficient runner out there to begin with. He's a better pass catcher than he is a runner, frankly. We expect him to come in at RB12 and have a nice floor for you against Cleveland with the possibility to score because, again, he's getting a full workload, so he's going to ha- he's going to be in on those goal line situations. That's the good news there. So Duke Johnson, if you didn't, ha- if you had him backing up David Johnson, hopefully you did. Hopefully you were able to pick him up. He was somebody who's still available in a lot of waiver wires up until yesterday. I don't think so much today, rightfully so. Hopefully you're able to pick him up and plug and play him. I think you can get comparable fantasy production that you're going to get out of David Johnson in the first place against Cleveland. So Nick Chubb, we move on to him. Same game, other side of the ball. He did not have a knee brace yesterday. That was the good news. He participated in all the individual drills. From all accounts, he looked very sharp. He looked very good. Uh, Cleveland's still trying to, you know, not be overly optimistic in the sense of, I don't think they just want to get their hopes up too high. But they plan on having Nick Chubb for this game in a critical matchup against Houston, a critical win against Houston. And for a fantasy football standpoint, Nick Chubb cannot be coming back to a better matchup. They are 32nd against the running back right now. It is phenomenal. Nick Chubb, we talked about him. He's my top five running back on the week. We love us and Nick Chubb, and we expect him to be good to go. Antonio Gibson, we were able to talk about that during the show yesterday. Broke right through. He came back to practice in a limited capacity yesterday. So he looks like he's going to be out there and playing. I went yesterday's show. Make sure you go back and check it out. I talked about how J.D. McKissick, I believe, will be heavily involved, especially in the passing game, especially because Alex Smith is the quarterback heading into this one. They want their guys who understand pass protection the most out there more often than not. So while Antonio Gibson, I still expect him to lead the way in carries, I almost think from a snap share standpoint, we might see a close to 50-50% split between the J.D. McKissick and and Antonio Gibson. So while Antonio Gibson I have as a high-end RB2, given the matchup here, I still think J.D. McKissick might be actually be a low-end RB2 for this week. Somebody I like to play. Somebody I like to play a lot in DFS leagues. So go ahead and check that out. But it looks like Gibson will play here. Uh, that's the good news after we had some uh, a little iffy on him when he was coming out with a shoulder injury and did not practice on Wednesday. We weren't sure that that was all about because that's something that popped up well after the game that we didn't really hear about during the uh, game last week. Kenny Galladay continues not to practice. We weren't expecting Kenny Galladay to play this week anyway. We didn't even have him ranked. We didn't have him projected or anything like that. So Kenny Galladay expect to be without him again this week, unfortunately. And really, you guys view him as still being week to week. You're dealing with a hip issue. That can take longer to heal uh, than a lot of other injuries that you would possibly come across. So something to kind of keep in mind there. It might be another week or two before we can see Kenny Galladay out there on the field, unfortunately. So just have something in mind. Plan out your roster construction over the next two weeks to be without Kenny Galladay and get prepared in that sense. Alshon Jeffrey, Miles Sanders, both practice in full. We talked yesterday about how this Eagle receiving core could really be all over the place. There's a lot of different range of outcomes that could possibly be with Alshon Jeffrey coming back, especially if the Philadelphia Eagles feel 
like they are obligated to get Jeffrey out there on the field as a starter. I don't know if that'll come to be the case. We'll be watching this game really closely to get an idea of what this receiving group, what their fantasy value is going to be moving forward. Right now, I would still play Travis Fulgham as a wide receiver three because he's just been too good, I believe, to take him off the field. But outside of that, there is a rotation that we're going to have to see come to fruition before I am trusting another Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver in my lineup. Even Travis Fulgham, I think, has to take a step down and what his ceiling could possibly be depending upon what they need to play Alshon Jeffrey for, how much they feel like they need to play Alshon Jeffrey, given his contract, given the fact that he's finally back. So we're going to see all that kind of play out on Sunday. Miles Sanders, on the other hand, he's a top 10 running back. We expect him to be good to go. No worries really for me there. Devonta Freeman, on the flip side of that, left yesterday from practice, aggravated the ankle issue. We do not expect him to play any longer. We expect Wayne Goldman to be the guy. It's not a good matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles, no matter who the running back was going to be for this anyway. But we have seen Wayne Goldman be productive over the past two weeks. He scored touchdowns over the past two weeks. I do worry about Alfred Morris continuing to be a thing, but I also worry about that running game in general. As long as the Eagles have Fletcher Cox, they're a very difficult team to run on. That continues to be the case. If I can at all help it, I'm trying to avoid this backfield at all costs, uh, if that's an option to me. Tate also left practice early yesterday, too. The Giants just had some really bad luck as far as guys leaving practice yesterday. And he's going to be more of a game-time decision, as that's what we're hearing about now, at least at a judge. There's still some optimism that Tate's going to play. For your fantasy football purposes, it'd probably be better if he didn't, because at least you know if he doesn't play, there's an extra target slot that goes to a Sterling Shepard, that goes to a Darius Slayton. And then you might be able to work some value off of that, depending on you know who Darius Slay is going to actually shadow in this game. Is he going to stick to the perimeter of Darius Slayton, or is he going to go after the actual number one targeted wide receiver of the past few weeks in Sterling Shepard? Remains to kind of be seen. We've seen them flip-flop back and forth. Our senses going into the game is that it should be Darius Slayton for the most part, that Slay is going to be on. But that's not ha- that hasn't been a given fact throughout the year. They have kind of switched it up sometimes where they'll say, you know what, Slay, we'll let you go into the slot and follow some of these receivers around depending on the situation that it is. I wouldn't be surprised if this wound up being one of those games. Unfortunately, you're probably not going to know before game time. Darius Slayton is somebody who's nothing more than a hit, a boom or bust Low-end wide receiver four, frankly, at this point. We do have Sterling Shepard as a low-end wide receiver three, given the target volume that he's had. There's a decent floor that comes with a Sterling Shepard right now. But still, nothing great, nothing from a high ceiling. The Eagles had this situation. I didn't really talk about this too much yesterday, so I'll talk about it now. The Eagles are in the situation where they seemingly will play down to their competition. And that's really been the big issue. The one constant, though, is that if their defense is healthy, they don't play down to the competitions, the offense that does. So the offense might put the defense in some tough situations. But overall, if this defense comes to play the way that they can against this Giants team, I think the Giants are going to have a really difficult time moving the ball no matter what weapons they have available to them in this game. It's why the Eagles are top three defense stream for me this week. So we're going to figure this out. And I was, honestly, I would try to stay away from it other than Shepard because they know he's going to get eight to ten targets. That's pretty much a given for him heading into this week. Moving on here, we got Chris Godwin. He was limited in practice over the past couple of days. That's going to continue to be the case. I don't know. I honestly, I don't know unless his finger miraculously gets 100% better that he's going to be a full participant in practice again at any point this season. You're just, you're not going to push him too much when he's dealing with, you know, pins in his finger. The important part is that he should be good to play. And while it was disappointing against the Saints last week, the entire offense was disappointing. That's one of those games we talked about 
on Monday where he said you just got to you got to crumple it up and throw it away. That's one of those games where you just don't take any data from it. You don't take any fantasy expectations out of it. You say, you know what? It was just a lost game, something an aberration. You throw it out and you move on and you continue with the fantasy value that you had in store for these guys in the first place. And with a Chris Godwin, that's like a wide receiver, too. That has not changed. So as long as he's out there on the field, you can fire him up in your lineup, especially against the Carolina Panthers, who are this could be a shootout. This could be a shootout game, or I feel like the Panthers might run into a buzzsaw because we could see really Tampa Bay deciding, hey, you know what? We got an extra chip on our shoulder heading into this matchup. So it's going to be very interesting from that standpoint. Plus, on the Carolina side of the things, and our last injury update for you from yesterday's slate of games that we talked about. Chris McCaffrey's not going to be available. He hasn't practiced all week. They've already come out and said that they expect him maybe to come back next week. But it's going to be a Mike Davis game. So there's going to be extra reason for Tampa Bay to be able to tee off on these guys. I don't think Carolina's going to be able to run the ball particularly effectively. So all those things kind of roll into Tampa Bay having a leg up in this game, I think, to maybe dominate this game, quite frankly. I know I know Carolina just played Kansas City really tough last week. And they've, built, they've played really well all season long. But this is one of those narrative games where you can just see the energy. You can see the situation where they're just kind of walking into a buzzsaw that is Tampa Bay because we know that they're a much better team than what we saw a week ago. So that's the injury updates from yesterday's slate of games. Again, if you you missed yesterday's show, go back, listen to it on your favorite streaming app, wherever that might be, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. We're widely available to you as the Belly Up Sports' MD's Fantasy Football Show and on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android or WWSRN on iOS. Now we can get into this Thursday night game, which there's a lot of things I wanted to take out of this game. The first one that jumps out to me, and I'm, I'm taking mental notes when I watch these games and stuff like that, so I, you know, I have some things to talk about. I know what I want to talk about, at least when I come on to the show. And the big thing that stood out to me in that Thursday night game was the defensive play calling of the Tennessee Titans. Made zero, zero sense all game long. You know what Phillip Rivers wants to do. He wants to throw the ball within 10 yards, and he wants to throw the ball over the middle of the field. That's the red zone. That, that's his red zone. That's his target. That's his hot spot. That's where he wants to go with the football. And yet time and time again, I had to sit back and watch Tennessee sit there in a soft zone for absolutely no reason, playing eight yards off the ball on a soft zone in the middle. That's why Phillip Rivers was able to have the game that he was. He went over 300 yards in this game. He had a passing touchdown. He was very efficient with his throws. I don't know what the play calling for the Tennessee Titans was. Now, I know that their defense typically is a bend-but-don't-break type of defense, but know who you're playing. There's no reason to play eight yards off the ball against a quarterback who can't stretch the field. You know what's to go over the middle. It just made absolutely no sense. They look. I know you don't. I talked about this yesterday. You don't get a chance to get a lot of game planning in going into a Thursday game. But this is a divisional matchup. You know who you're playing against. I think you can make some play calls where you're playing a little bit tighter to the line of scrimmage. It just made no sense to me at all. And that was just one of those things that stood out to me as far as like the game, the actual game itself went, and that kind of dictated how this flow went. The car, the Colts, excuse me dominated time of possession. I mean, it wasn't even close. That I'm watching that entire game, and I felt like I rarely ever even saw Tennessee's offense on the field. And that was a big reason why. And that affected everything from a fantasy standpoint. You had Michael Pittman go over 100 yards, seven catches, eight targets. A lot of people are going to be talking about him. There were already some silver lining, some hopeful eyes out there on a Michael Pittman maybe establishing himself. Maybe there will be a pass catcher of value 
especially as T.Y. Hilton was out. And T.Y. Hilton came back in his game. He was full, and Michael Pittman was the number one wide receiver. Keep this in mind. Most teams are not going to do what the Tennessee Titans did against Phillip Rivers. Most teams are going to squeeze this offense. Most teams have squeezed this offense to this point. That's why their passing attack hasn't been very good. So I'm not going to go suddenly and jump over hoops and through obstacles to go pick up a Michael Pittman next week. He still tops is going to be a wide receiver for and a low-end one at that. This is his first 100-yard game. I like him as a talent, but as long as Phil Rivers is the quarterback there, I cannot trust his passing attack at all from a fantasy standpoint. I know they had a good game here against Tennessee. Tennessee does not have a very good defense, and I just remarked on what the play calling was, which I think had a bigger role in what happened in this game necessarily than just talent. So I'm not staying away from it. T.Y. Hilton himself, five targets, four catches, 40 yards, you know, whatever. I'm not touching these Colts pass catchers. Like I said, I like Michael Pittman, but unless he starts to get targeted a lot in the red zone, which isn't necessarily the case, he still like to go to the running backs, he still like to go to the tight ends, I'm not jumping over hoops to go get a Michael Pittman. And I think that's going to be the narrative out of a lot of people heading into next week that he's somebody that you can target. Only if I'm, only if I'm desperate and I need, a, I need somebody who has a pulse. That's the only way I would do it. Jordan Wilkins, I warned you guys. I, fair warning, and hopefully if you're part of MD Nation, you listen to me on this show, you listen to me on this advice, I told you the second you trust Jordan Wilkins because he had more carries than Jonathan Taylor the past two weeks and looks good, that he was going to get you eight carries. I think I, the exact words I said was eight carries for 23 yards. He actually got you eight carries for 28 yards in this game and was had one target for nothing in the passing game. There's a three-man hot hand rotation going on with the Indianapolis Colts, and my big takeaway from this game is that Jonathan Taylor is not somebody who can play in your lineups anymore. Plain and simple. All this trade value just went out the window. This was a great matchup on paper again that he did absolutely nothing for. We still had him ranked as a low-end RB2 because I believed in the talent. I believed that they would, in a Thursday game where you're keeping things more simple, that maybe you go back to him. Whether or not he's in the doghouse or not, and that's playing into it, has nothing to do with anything for fantasy football purposes right now because he still started the game. They still got him involved. They actually got him involved in the passing game early on. and But that was it. Jonathan, I don't even know if I saw Jonathan Taylor in the second half very much. Frankly, it was all Naeem Hines after halftime. Taylor finished the game, two catches, 25 yards on two targets. That was all in the beginning of the half. All in the beginning of the half. Naeem Hines, 12 carries, 70 yards, a touchdown. Five catches, 45 yards, a touchdown. Naeem Hines might be the most... Not I want to say valuable, but the most predictable as far as what his role is going to be. Not necessarily from the carry standpoint. I think it's going to be very rare that he's actually the one dominating the carries and the rushing yards. But you know he's at least going to have a role within the offense because you know he's going to be the pass catcher of Phillip Rivers. It almost makes him the only dependable running back from that standpoint. But even then, it's still very inconsistent as far as what his stat line has been from a week-to-week basis because his offense is widely inconsistent. Again, I go back to Phillip Rivers. I go back to Frank Reich. The play calling and Rivers' play has made this offense very inconsistent and make it almost, I think now after that game, officially a fantasy wasteland. How are you going to play Jonathan Taylor after a 7-carry, 12-yard performance in which he didn't fumble the ball but still barely played the second half, a game in which the Colts were leading for most of it and dominated, completely led the entire second half. Tennessee didn't score a point in the second half. They didn't give it to him to ice the game. They gave it to Jordan Wilkins. They gave it to Naeem Hines. Jonathan Taylor wasn't a thing. You cannot put Jonathan Taylor in your lineups anymore until he shows you otherwise, until the Colts show you otherwise. 
And that's going to take more than one good week. That's going to take back-to-back weeks of them featuring Jonathan Taylor. And I don't know if that's going to happen at any point this season. Can you drop him? No, you can't drop him. You can't. But you're not going to be able to trade him, and you're not going to be able to play him. And that's a sad, that's a sad truth right now on Jonathan Taylor coming out of this game. Very, very unfortunate for all those guys out there who are expecting big-time performances out of him. But there's no way you come out of this game feeling like you can play Jonathan Taylor back in your lineups again anytime soon. Let's flip things over to the Tennessee side of the ball. Ryan Tannehill, again, eh. They're not being aggressive with him. They're not rolling him out nearly as much as they used to, which is affecting his fantasy value overall because he's not using his legs. Now, I said coming into this game that I wasn't sure if this was the game that he would get back to using his legs given how this defense plays. They play fast. Darius Leonard's back there. It's hard to get running room unless you're a Lamar Jackson type of quarterback, which, you know, Ryan Tannehill's mobile, but nowhere near what Lamar Jackson can do. So as a result of that, I wasn't sure if this was definitely going to be the game where we see Ryan Tannehill get himself back to where he was, and it wasn't. They still tried to lean too much on Derrick Henry. It, was, it, took, it took them too long in the second half to actually spread the ball out and get throwing again. They wound up having a turnover on downs when they were trying to make a drive happen at the end of the game. He, got, he was beat and brutalized pretty much all game long. That offensive line did him absolutely no favors. I do think there's still better days ahead for Ryan Tannehill. This is a tough matchup for quarterbacks on paper. It came, it came true. I'm not too worried about it. I think you continue playing Ryan Tannehill as a top 12 quarterback because I believe they're going to get back to getting him using his legs again. They tried to go to a boot a couple times. It didn't work because the Colts were kind of ready for it, but that's something they're going to have to get back to utilizing in this offense because they haven't done a very good job of doing that, and Ryan Tannehill is best when he's on the move throwing the football. They're going to have to get back to that. I think you're going to see some adjustments out of this mini buy. I trust this Tennessee coaching staff. They have earned my trust in that respect where they actually do the logical thing at the end of the day. So I believe you're going to see that. I believe Ryan Tannehill will still be a top 12 quarterback for the most part. It just may be a little bit matchup dependent on a week-to-week basis moving forward. But it wasn't a great game here. Again, Derrick Henry, 19 carries, 103 yards. The fantasy analysis on him stays the same. Not just that he's an elite running back, but that no matter what the game script is for Tennessee, Derrick Henry's going to get his touches, plain and simple. Goes over 100 yards from this one. The only thing he didn't do for you was score. So was it this big blow-up Derrick Henry game that you like to see? No. But against a tough Colts defense, to still get over 100 yards, to still get a solid performance, that is what Derrick Henry is all about. He'll always give you a nice floor, even if he's not breaking off 50-yarders for a touchdown. But the receiving game is what we have to talk about. A.J. Brown seeing only four targets in this game. One catch, 21 yards. Now, it could have been a much better stat line. Because they came out of this game looking for A.J. Brown. The very first play was that one catch for 21 yards out of A.J. Brown. And then on the next play, Brown dropped what was a beautiful pass, really, by Ryan Tannehill. And it would have been over a 50-yard touchdown. He put it right in the bread basket, and A.J. Brown just didn't handle it. And there was nobody in front of him. He had beaten the corner. There was nobody there. He would have definitely scored a touchdown on that one. And that would have been a big fantasy day and a fantasy day we come to expect out of A.J. Brown. Instead, after that drop happened, he only got two more targets the rest of the game out of that in a game script where they were trailing by a ton. No, technically, this is not a great matchup on paper. And part of this was the Colts' dominated time possession. Again, Tennessee Titans didn't have the ball very much. But the fact they only got four targets is just very concerning. And it goes back into this narrative that, after looking at this game, it's kind of hard to ignore, that A.J. Brown, while he is a high-end wide receiver, too, with a big ceiling, 
a wide receiver one type of ceiling, he is still very much a boom or bust type of wide receiver two. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready where he just has these low-floor games, and unless he breaks off a big play or if they decide to actually feature him on a level where he's getting eight targets that game, which hasn't happened very often this season, he can he can kind of he can let you down. He can kind of let you down. He's going to have those games where he's in the top 10 at wide receiver. No doubt about it. That's the type of player he is. But there's not a consistent volume share going his way. And remember last year, this is kind of what happened at this point last year. The first half of the season... It was very inconsistent as far as what the target share he was getting. And then over the second half, when Ryan Tannehill took over, A.J. Brown was then getting 8 to 10 targets a game and then dominating as a result of that. Well, Ryan Tannehill's been the quarterback all season long. So as a result of that, I don't know if we're going to, unless Corey Davis were to get injured, I don't know if we're ever at any point going to see A.J. Brown wind up in a situation where he's getting 8 to 10 targets consistently. I think you're going to have to view him as a wide receiver too, a guy you have to play in your lineups, of course because of the talent there and what he can do with the ball, even on a few touches. But he's going to have to be a guy that you have in the back of your mind might be a boom or bust, might be a low-floor player any given week, and you kind of have to prepare your roster construction based off of that. You might have to go with some guys with some higher floors in some different spots rather than take a bunch of chances because A.J. Browns is not a consistent player right now. Now, on the flip side of that, he his four targets, however small that is, was still second on was still second on the team behind Janu Smith and Corey Davis, who had six targets apiece. Now let's talk about Janu Smith. He gets the rushing touchdown, but he maintains his month long average of two catches for fourteen yards. Now, technically, the six targets that's like four more targets than we've seen him get over the past few weeks. Although I will say at least two of those four targets that he didn't catch were balls thrown well over his head. He never had a shot for. Janu Smith, unfortunately, I mean, you're begging for a touchdown, but how is that any different than the 20 tight ends that you're looking at from streaming on any given week? So he maintains where where we had him before the game started, which is that tight end 15 on, basically. That has the talent to turn around, but again, is asked to block too much. And we saw it last night with Ryan Tannehill fighting for his life against that Colts defense because that offensive line is not very good for Tennessee right now. It's just not. It's too banged up. Corey Davis, I told you guys it wasn't going to goose you. I told you guys it was going to be a wide receiver four, and that's probably what he's going to finish at the end of the day. Five catches, 67 yards on six targets. Nothing exciting here, but a floor game, especially in half-point, full-point PPR leagues. Again, him and A.J. Brown, they just seem to trade off on which one's going to get the target share that week. And then when Adam Humphreys comes back into the mix, it adds another dilemma 
of who gets the targets. Just kind of providing more evidence for the boom or bust A.J. Brown fantasy value moving forward, unfortunately, because he should be better than that. He should be a guy who's knocking on the cusp of being a wide receiver one every single week. But this Tennessee offense isn't playing very well right now. I think you're going to see some adjustments coming out of that mini buy. So I feel I feel good about Corey Davis being a wide receiver for the rest of the way. I feel, you know, Janu Smith is somebody that we'll wait and see on to see if he can turn around. For now, he's going to be in the late teens of tight ends for us probably on every given week. A.J. Brown continues to be a wide receiver two hit or miss prospect. Nothing really changes too much other than you're hoping you see Tennessee turn a corner and get back maybe not what they were last year, but maybe closer to what at least they were at the beginning of this season when they were a more efficient offense. We'll see if they make those adjustments or not. That wraps it up for our Thursday night recap. So now we can turn around and get back into our previews, get back into our late week matchups for week 10, figuring out the injury updates, figuring out the fantasy expectations. And we kick all that off with the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. And again, I, th- I told you guys last week, I had Drew Locke, I believe he was ranked 12 going into the week, and he came through for me. And I told you guys last week that I thought that was going to probably be the highest that I ever, ever have Drew Locke ranked. And I, I, I thought that was, because I'm not a Drew Locke fan. I don't think he's a very good quarterback. He's not a very consistent quarterback. But what keeps happening over the past couple of weeks is, one, they, had, they played two teams that have a tendency to implode in the second half, the Chargers and the Falcons. Two decent matchups on paper. And two situations where the game scripts, Denver fell behind big going into halftime, and then they had to do nothing but just throw the football. And then Drew Lockett uses his legs. Defenses are playing more prevent defense. Starts to hit Jerry Judy. Starts to hit Tim Patrick. Start, even last week, he started to hit K.J. Hamler quite often. And he's able to rack up some fantasy points in garbage time. He is the pro-fantasy garbage time quarterback so far the past couple of weeks. Well, guess what? I draft, I'm ranking Drew Locke at quarterback 11, so I actually have him a little bit higher, one spot higher, than I did a week ago. Because they might find themselves in a very similar situation. One, it's a good matchup on paper against the Raiders. They don't have a very good defense. You can throw on them. Two, because of the Raiders, way, the way they play football, they usually get off to a good start. The Broncos do not. So there's a real chance for the third week in a row, the Broncos are going to be in a situation against a below-average defense and down by a couple of scores heading into halftime where they have to turn the ball over to Drew Locke and they have to get, Patch Sherman has to get more aggressive and they have to start slinging around a little bit more and they have to come back from behind where you can get high volume and get some garbage time points in the second half. This third week is set up exactly how these last two weeks went. And these last two weeks, Drew Locke's been a top 10 quarterback. All that goes to say that, you know what? He's a streaming option this week. Quarterback 11, 12-man leagues, he's a low-end QB1. I'm hoping this is the last week I, have to, I, I get to say that because I don't want to say that. I don't want to have Drew Locke as high because you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. With guys, talking about guys that will burn you the second you trust you, Drew Locke falls in that category. But just on paper, examining what's happened the past couple of weeks, examining what could happen this week, what's more likely to happen this week, it sets up nicely where he could have another repeat of the past couple of weeks. So Drew Locke comes in at QB 11. And yeah, I don't feel great about it, as you could tell, but that's where the numbers go. So I think you can stream him if you're in a tough situation. Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, what, what do you do with this scenario? 
I mean, the Denver backfield is kind of turned into the Kansas City backfield where it's a question of, are they even going to get utilized? It's not a question of, what's the split? How does Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon both being involved cut into each other? Because that's a factor, but that's not even the main factor anymore. It's, are the running backs in general just going to be used? Again, it goes to the game script. Now, on paper, on paper, it's a great matchup against the Raiders. They're not very, they're worse against the run than they are against the pass. But so is Atlanta. And they didn't get these guys going at all. Fell down behind early. Had to pass a lot in the second half. When they have to pass a lot, the arrow goes to Melvin Gordon. But both of these guys have low floors and really, frankly, not particularly very high ceilings unless one of them breaks one. And if I'm betting on one of these running backs to break one, well, then it would be Philip Lindsay. We have Melvin Gordon ranked at RB16. I have Philip Lindsay ranked at RB28. It's still, on paper, a 55-45 split in carries in favor of Philip Lindsay over Melvin Gordon over the past couple of weeks. I think that's going to continue to be the case. Ever since the DUI, there definitely seems to be an effort on the team's part to get Philip Lindsay more involved. I definitely feel, I definitely get the vibe that Melvin Gordon is not just splitting carries with Philip Lindsay, but is a little bit in the doghouse as well. Now, the part that bails him out is the passing game because Philip Lindsay can't block. He missed a couple of block assignments last week and one that he didn't miss the assignment, but he just got completely blown up on and it didn't matter that he was in the way. That's just what happens when you're that small. So, is a situation where Gordon, again, could see about seven targets in this game, get five catches for 45 yards, something similar to what he did last week, and still have a decent floor for you. And we're dealing with some heavy bye weeks where a lot of guys that you trust as RB2s, as RB1s, are not available to you, which, again, skews the landscape, which is why Melvin Gordon winds up being a mid-tier RB2 for us and why Philip Lindsay winds up being a high-end RB3 for us. Not going to feel great about it, but on paper against the Raiders, this is the matchup that you at least can entertain the idea of playing a Philip Lindsay. And I think playing a Melvin Gordon, especially if you're in a half-point, full-point PPR league. Now, I'll say this, and I don't talk about this often. If you're in a standard league, I don't know how much I want to play Melvin Gordon because there's a low floor there, especially if he doesn't score. My rankings are a little bit different when it comes to standard leagues when on Melvin Gordon in this instance. But he's an RB2. That you're, just, you're not going to feel good about it, but I doubt you have a better option this week. And that's kind of what we're going to expect. It's going to be all about the game script. If Denver can actually be in a close matchup early on in this game, then we might see these running backs get better utilized than they have been over the past couple of weeks. But if they don't, if they fall behind by a couple of scores again early, you're going to be in trouble. So look at your rush construction. Look at your options. But we do have Melvin Gordon as a mid-tier RB2 and Phil Lindsay as a top-end RB3. Now let's talk about the wide receivers. So Jerry Judy's dealing with an injury. He's questionable. He has been able to practice in limited capacity. I think we just got a news alert, actually, that uh, Vic Vangio says that he's pretty optimistic that Jerry Judy's going to be able to play. And really, since Tim Patrick had went down with his hamstring injury a couple weeks ago, I know he came back last week, but when he went down, Jerry Judy's actually started to come into his own a little bit. We're starting to see him get targeted a little bit more. We're starting to see him get involved a little bit more, get open a little bit more be more of that, you know, that great rookie wide receiver that we kind of expected him to be. So he's been kind of in a nice rhythm over the past couple of weeks. It would be tough to see him not be able to continue that. We want to see him develop. But even if he's out there, and even if he's playing well, we still have him at wide receiver 33 on the week. He's still a wide receiver 3. I think everybody understands that. It's about the volume for him. Can he get you that floor 
And I think he is that a decent player in this matchup to get you a nice floor, even dealing with the injury, because it sounds like we expect him to be out there. I am also good with you guys playing Tim Patrick as a wide receiver three. Last week gets you the touchdown. I know outside of that, you're not particularly happy about the stat line, four catches, 29 yards. But the fact was that when he came back into the game last week, after being out for the last couple of weeks of the hamstring issue, he went back to his Cortland Sutton role. He's still playing the red zone guy. He's still playing that number one look perimeter guy where Jerry Judy's kind of operating in and out with K.J. Hamler as far as who's in the slot, who's on the perimeter, different routes and stuff like that, operating more as a safety blanket. Tim Patrick has big play potential. Again, if I have Drew Locke at quarterback 11 because of well, the game script I expect it to go, or could very well see it go, then Tim Patrick in a situation where he has a plus matchup that he can take advantage of and can make a big play. And he is a decent bet to score a touchdown. Noah Fant, is, Noah Fant being banged up right now, not being his normal self, has kind of opened up this doorway where Tim Patrick is now, in my eyes, the number one red zone target. And that's pretty much played out in the field when he's been out there since Noah Fant's been a little bit banged up. He's just not himself. Now, Fant, we have him at tight end 13. And if you had Fant, I think you had to continue to play him. I don't, I'm not going to drop him for anybody in particular. But it has been a low four with him because he's just not 100% right. But he has as good a chance as anybody to score a touchdown. And he's still seeing a healthy amount of targets each week. So yeah, I think you have to, tight end 13 makes him a top 10, a, a top end tight end two. But I think you have to continue to play him, even though it has been great the past couple of weeks. I think you have to hang in there on that. But again, Tim Patrick, I like him as a wide receiver three. I think you can go ahead and play him. I think you can play Jerry Judy. I'm still going to have to wait and see KJ Hamler get, continue to be, I should say, involved more and more the way he has been over the past couple of weeks for me to be feeling good about plugging him into my lineups because I still view him as more of a big play threat guy, not a guy who should be getting a lot of opportunities on a consistent basis. But the targets were there last week. If that continues, then he was somebody who might creep up into my wide receiver three status as well. So we'll keep our eyes on him, but not somebody I'm looking to plug and play this week. Let's flip it around on the Raiders' side of the ball. Let's talk about Josh Jacobs. Now, it's not a good matchup. I think we all understand that the best way to move the ball in the Denver Broncos is to throw the ball on them. I think we all get that at this point. And I know there's this narrative out there after last week where it's like, well, are they cutting back on Josh Jacobs' workload? You know, Devontae Booker got involved. I, think, I love how quickly people forget things from week to week. I love, I love the short-term amnesia that seems to go on throughout the fantasy football industry. The week before, Josh Jacobs, who hasn't been really 100% healthy at, at any point this season, frankly, had 31 carries. So wouldn't it be more likely that maybe after having a game where he had 31 carries and he hasn't been 100% healthy for, they decide the following week to try to get some other guys a little bit more involved to give him a little bit of a break? He still led the team in carries. He still got you a touchdown last week. Is he as involved in the passing game as you were hoping he would be? No. But we also, if you actually had a brain and you understood that everything Mike Mayock and John Gruden were saying was was crap in the first place because you know exactly how Gruden likes to call his plays, you know how he likes to rotate his running backs and how he likes to utilize his guys, that you knew there was only going to be a limited amount of you know potential for Josh Jacobs to actually get involved in the pass game, even though he is a very good pass catcher. You were expecting that anyway. If you listen to the show, you were expecting that. Josh Jacobs had 31 carries the week before. Yeah, they decided to get Booker a little bit more involved, give him a little bit of a break last week. I have zero reason to think 
that Josh Jacobs won't get at least 18 carries in this game. I expect the Raiders to be up early. I expect them to utilize, and they're always going to utilize the run. John Gruden is always going to want to have the running game be very much involved. They're one, from a play calling standpoint, they're one of the most balanced teams in the NFL between run pass ratio. Jacobs was going to be fine. His volume is not a concern of mine. It was the situation from the week before having 31 carries. You give him a little bit of break last week. Still led the team in carries. Still got a touchdown. Josh Jacobs is still a low-end RB1. I am not worried about the floor. I'm not. It's not a great matchup again on paper, but he's always a threat to score a touchdown or two in a game. You continue to play him as a top-10 running back. Period. Do I hope he gets a little bit more involved in the pass game, especially in this matchup in particular? Yes, I do, but... We can't hold our hopes out for that because that's been very inconsistent throughout the year. Not just in Jacobs' case, by the way, but for every Raiders running back. It's not like they're throwing Jalen Rashard out there every passing play and getting him five to seven targets like they were a week ago, or a year ago, I should say, or, or Devontae Booker in that role either. The running back unit as a whole hasn't really been very involved in the passing game. That part is a little bit surprising because that's not usually what Gruden likes to do. He usually likes to get the running back unit, at least somebody, involved in the passing game on a consistent basis. But that also plays into what we've seen out of Derek Carr. What we've seen now with Henry Ruggs, he's actually looking to throw the ball down the field a little bit more aggressively this season. Which is why I think they've been, have such, they have a pretty decent balanced attack. It's not overly explosive, but they have a decent balanced attack. And it's opened up some things. Darren Waller, top five tight end. Especially this week, and there's no Travis Kelsey and anybody else. If you, could make, if you want to say Darren Waller's number one tight end, I can't argue with you. He's been the most consistent pass catcher for the Raiders. Decent matchup here for tight ends against the Denver Broncos. But Waller's is pretty much as safe as they come as far as what his floor is any given week at the tight end position. Outside of that, I don't have anybody that I'm looking to play for the Raiders. Henry Ruggs, you know, Brian Edwards isn't a thing. Hunter Renfro has been decent over the past couple of weeks, but still, there's still this weird, inconsistent target share going on between him and Darren Waller, depending on who's going to have that more involved game. Nelson Aguilar is one of those guys, again, that kind of falls into that category for me, where if you actually want to have the cojones to trust him, the second you do, he's going he's gonna to burn you. I mean, even last week, yes, he had that big touchdown, but he's only had two catches on the game. There's not a lot of volume really going to any of the pass catchers outside of Darren Waller on this team. So I'm firing up Josh Jacobs. I'm firing up Darren Waller. I'm going to avoid the rest of the Raiders players if I can at all help it. Henry Ruggs, is he somebody who's a little bit interesting to me in DFS? Because one, do I think he's due for a bomb? Yes. Two, is this the game where against the Denver Broncos, where he's more effective throwing the football to move the ball, the possibility of him getting a bomb kind of increases than he's had over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, that's there. I'll entertain the idea from a DFS standpoint, but no way am I going to trust to play him in a redraft league because his floor is literally zero. So let's move on here. Let's move on to the Chargers. Let's move to the Miami Dolphins. Battle of top-end rookie quarterbacks. Battle of the 5-6 and six pick. We have Justin Herbert against Tua Tagovailoa. Herbert, of course, being the better fantasy option. QB8, especially the way he's played lately. Keenan Allen, as safe as a wide receiver one as they come because he has not, I don't think he's gotten less than double-digit targets every game since Justin Herbert started. So he's a top six wide receiver for us this week. Now, outside of that, what happens? 
Told you guys last week, I was not going to sit there and fire up Mike Williams with confidence until I saw at least one more game where he was significantly involved while Keenan Allen was playing all four quarters. Now, he wasn't forgotten about the way he has been in weeks past last week, but it still wasn't eight targets while Keenan Allen's getting double-digit looks. His offense is still not predicated on getting Mike Williams as involved as he should be, frankly. So Williams is somebody who comes outside of our wide receiver 36. Does he have the big play capability? 100%. But again, you're going for a very much a wide receiver four boomer bust option out of Mike Williams this week. So if you need to take a home run hit, he's somebody that could fall into that category for you. But again, you're talking about the possibility of a low floor because the consistent target share is just not there. It's just not. Maybe it'll change around some point this season. Because from an NFL standpoint, we're kind of still at the midway point, even though from a fantasy season standpoint, you are in full playoff mode. But right now, I'm not trusting it. There should be better options available to you. Hunter Henry, tight end 15. He's kind of fallen in that same category of a junior Smith for me, where the talent's there. The opportunity's just not. Plain and simple. Still haven't been able to get him in the end zone. When targeting him, it's usually one of the last reads on the play. He's going Keenan Allen, running back, Mike Williams, and then Hunter Henry. And that's kind of a big reason why he just hasn't had the floor that he really should. Unfortunately, he's a great tight end. I think he's still a great player. But the opportunities that he should be having just aren't there. So again, he falls in the same category as New Smith for me, where from a talent standpoint, you don't want to drop him. You don't want to move on from him. But from a fantasy standpoint, it's time to start looking at other options, other guys who are actually getting targeted on a consistent basis, especially in the red zone when examining the tight end position. I'd rather have a Jimmy Graham this week than a Hunter Henry. Something to keep in mind there. So the real question in everybody's mind trying to figure out is the running backs. We don't expect Justin Jackson to play. He hasn't practiced all week. Anthony Lynn already came out and said he's probably going to rest this week, get the knee right, have him back for week 11. So he's, he's right now, we consider him doubtful. He'll probably be out maybe even by the end of today. Tremaine Pope is going to be back. We saw Pope operate in front of Joshua Kelly a week ago. We know Pope has a similar skill set to a Justin Jackson, something that the Chargers value quite dearly because they like having that running back that they feel like they have in their back pocket that they can check the ball down to pretty consistently. Like I said, Justin Herbert to me looks like the way at least he attacks the field is very similar to a young Philip Rivers. I look for my safety blanket and Keenan Allen. I target him over and over and over again. And then when I can't get the ball to him, I check it down to my secondary safety blanket, which is the running back coming out of the backfield. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. 
go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. I do believe Tremaine Pope is actually going to operate as the number one running back of the Chargers this week. He looked good when they gave him the opportunity a couple weeks ago. And again, like I said, he has a very similar skill set to a Justin Jackson, which they value dearly in their offense. So I see a game in which Tremaine Pope comes in as RB35 for us on the week. I think he has a decent floor. I think you're going to see him get very much involved in the passing game, which is what's going to give him that decent floor. And if he has any efficiency as a running game, this is somebody who could really be a very solid flex play for you guys this week. So I'm not shying away from a Pope. And he's, he's a guy who is still widely available out there. I do believe this will be a Pope game. We know what Kalen Balazs is at this point. We know that Joshua Kelly's clearly, whether it's the doghouse or just simply a bench player and just an afterthought and just a guy, a body they can throw in there every once in a while to absorb some hits. That's all he is now. He's not fantasy relevant. So I believe Tremaine Pope will be the guy. I do think you can play him as a flex play. We move on to the Dolphins side of the ball. Matt Breida looks like he's going to surprise us all. We didn't think he would. We thought he would have to have at least two weeks for him to come back from that hamstring issue. But he was able to practice this week. Limited on Wednesday. Limited yesterday. We're still waiting for the practice report today. But it sounds like he's going to play. It sounds like he's going to be out there. If he is, I think you can play him as an RB three. I think you can play him as a flex option. They have to find a way to get a running game involved. Because while Tua played much better last week than he did the week before, he's still not in a place where you can just make this one-dimensional and put the whole game onto his shoulders. And as we saw last week, without at least a Matt Breida, without Miles Gaskin, the running game is not very good. Jordan Howard was terrible. He fell in the end zone, but overall he was terrible. It was Salvin Ahmed that they had to bring off off the practice squad who actually looked at least decently efficient at times to give them something in the running game. So I think Matt Breed is going to get leaned on a bit here. So if he plays, and at this point we expect him to, and we're going to update our rankings because right now we don't have him ranked as we, we didn't expect him to play coming into the week. We'll have that updated for you guys either tomorrow or some before Sunday morning so you guys are ready to go when you're setting your lineups. Kind of look at the BellyFantasySports.com website. Look at the Dan Mater MD Fantasy Football Show tab, weekly rankings. Check it out. Look at some of the value pieces. He's going to be up there in the RB3 territory, probably a high-end one too. Because he'll be involved in the passing game. And he'll probably get most of the carries. Now, is Jordan Howard still going to be a thing at the goal line? Yeah, unfortunately, it looks that way. As much as he is terrible between the 20s right now, it looks like they are going to allow him to continue being the goal line carry when they get inside, you know, three-yard line, basically. So you're going to have to deal with that. But the floor is what you're going to look for out of Matt Breida. Devontae Parker comes in at wide receiver 21. The Chargers have done a decent job playing against the team's number one wide receiver because they have Hayward still to be able to take that away. But there's not going to be a Preston Williams. He's on the IR. He's out for at least three weeks after the injury last week. And until he got hurt, it looked like Preston Williams was turning into Tua's number one target because the past couple of weeks, that's what he had been up until that point. So is this going to turn to a situation now where Preston Williams goes down and as a result of that, all the targets head towards Devontae Parker? And maybe a little bit towards Mike Kosicki. Because Jakeem Grant, I mean, for as explosive as he is, we know he's only going to be involved in the offense to a certain level. He's not going to be a guy commanding seven to nine targets in a game. So I think Devontae Parker has a high floor wide receiver too. 
even though normally speaking is not a great match against the Chargers for number one wide receiver, because he's going to have to be force-fed the ball in this game, I believe, by Tua. Going to have to be. So I like the floor for Devontae Parker. Maybe not his ceiling this week, but as a wide receiver too, I do like what his floor should be with Preston Williams out and the extra target share heading his way. They're going to be able to... And when Williams out, they're going to probably move him around a little bit more. Chan Gailey's going to probably let him line up in the slot a little bit more, get a few more mismatches, get him going. Because the passing game is going to have to flow through him first in this team. As a result of that too, we talked about Mike Izzicki. He might be an offshoot of getting some of those extra targets. He comes in at tight end 14 for us. I don't like it. I don't trust them. But it's hard to ignore what happened last year given a similar situation. It's also hard to ignore the options at tight end this week, which are pathetic, to say the least. So he comes at tight end 14, even though I'm not a huge fan. Because there might be some extra targets heading his way. Let's move on. Actually, first, you know what? We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We still have more games to talk about in this late window. And, of course, we still have the mailbag segment at the end. So, everyone, stay tuned with us right after these commercials. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on your Android app. Or if you have iOS, WWSRN for you guys. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, for the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And we're talking about the late window of games for Week 10 today. We recap the Thursday night game. We give you the injury updates from yesterday's episode that you should check out on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you like to go for all of those. And, of course, we've been talking about the injury updates for today's window of games that we've been talking about and our fantasy expectations. And, actually, while we were on break, we got a slew of uh, updates for you guys that came in. Joe Mixon did not practice again today, so we don't expect him to go. Our rankings, again, on BellyUpFantasySports.com will be updated and reflected throughout the weekend. That means Giovanni Bernard, fire him up as a high-end RB2. He's been a very trustworthy play since Joe Mixon has been out. I know this is not a great matchup on paper with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but because we know how involved Bernard will be in the passing game, he still operates, especially in half-point and full-point PPR leagues, on a safe floor. So we feel pretty good about that. We feel pretty good about him being an RB2. And the one thing I will be a little concerned about, and I'll add this in, for the fantasy now is that last time before their bye week, we saw Samaje Pirine actually get involved at a decent level. He had 10 carries to Giovanni Bernard's 15. He also wound up with a goal line touchdown. Uh, definitely a little concerning because Giovanni Bernard was somebody who was getting all of the work while Joe Mixon was out before that point. But again, like I said, because of the passing involvement and Samaje Pirine is not going to be involved in the passing game at all, Giovanni Bernard still gives you a high floor. He still scored a touchdown himself in that game, and he's actually scored a touchdown every week that Joe Mixon's been out so far. So you go ahead, you fire him up as a high-end RB2 with a guy who has a high floor. I wouldn't worry about that too much. I will say about the Joe Mixon injury, though, this is getting really, really annoying. And almost to the point where I have to quit. Is this an A.J. Green situation? Now, contractually-wise, it's not because Joe Mixon already got paid. 
Where last year with AJ Green, when he got hurt in every single week, we were like, oh, okay, this is the week he comes back, or this is the week he's going to come back. And it just never happened. You kind of understood why AJ was not going to push himself to get back, why the Bengals weren't going to push himself to get back, because nobody knew where AJ Green was even going to be at the, at the beginning of the following year because of his contract situation. Well, that's not the case with Joe Mixon. Now, on the flip side, with Mixon, they have made a long-term investment for him. So I get being cautious. I get making sure he's 100% healthy, especially when you're probably not going to make the playoffs of the Cincinnati Bengals. But this has been weird from the start, where we never really got information as exactly what the foot issue was. We kept being told that it was a day-to-day thing. We kept expecting that he would at least have a chance to play every given week. And then we really thought, like, okay, they'll wait till their bye week and then make sure he's 100% healthy and come back the following week. Well, now... He didn't practice to get at all again this week. He wasn't out there at all. So now all of a sudden, do we not expect him to play this week? But because he still has not practiced since getting this injury, we have to question whether or not he's going to be available next week. It's really a nightmare scenario where we just we don't know exactly what the injury is. We don't know why he's on this timeline. Was it actually a high ankle sprain and he just never told us? Which would mean a four to six week window? Is that what happened? I and mean, we're all left to guess and wonder. All we have is that it's a foot issue. All the insiders from around the Cincinnati Bengals, all they talk about is the fact that he's dancing around. He doesn't seem to be that hindered by whatever the injury is. It doesn't, it's not something that's making him not be able to walk or on crutches or have to have surgery or anything like that. But yeah, he continues to not practice. They continue to hold him out. And it starts to feel like an A.J. Green situation where you start to wonder, are you ever going to bother to bring him back this season? I still lean towards that being yes, because again, it's not the same contractual situation, but... It's really, really odd that we are still really kind of left in the dark a month later about what's actually going on with Joe Mixon. So we'll have to see exactly what's going on with that. In the meantime, you fire up Genie Vine Bernard. Hopefully, if you're the Mixon owner, you have Genie Vine Bernard. I can't imagine being a Mixon owner and not because you've been left without an RB1 for a month now and you still keep holding out hope every single week that you're supposed to have him back. And I don't know when that's going to be the case because we still haven't seen him practice. So we don't know where the progression is because we don't even know where the injury was in the first place. So that whole scenario is just very strange and very detrimental to fantasy owners right now. But Bernard, again, will be an RB2 this week. So that was the big update that we got. We also got that you know Jerry Judy expected to play. TJ Hawkinson is back. We talked about him a little bit. I forgot to put him on there because he was somebody who actually missed uh, Thursday's practice. But he was back today. He's going to be expected to be good to go. So all those injury updates came out during this time frame. And Mark Ingram is practicing today after sitting out yesterday. He's expected to play on Sunday, again, rendering the entire Baltimore Raven backfield completely useless. So now we got rid of some of those updates that were coming through actually during the commercial break. Let's get back into the games that we still need to preview for the rest of this show, starting off with the Buffalo Bills, starting off with the Arizona Cardinals. Definitely the shootout game, at least on paper, for Week 10. Got Josh Allen, who's been on fire, especially last week against Seattle. Kind of got him back to being what he was towards the beginning of the season. We'll see if that continues. Arizona's defense is at least a little bit better, even though they're banged up right now. A little bit better than what we see out of Seattle on a week-to-week basis. Kyler Murray has been the QB1. And he's just, he's running. Even when he's not efficient throwing the ball, he's running at nearly, not quite, but nearly the clip of a Lamar Jackson from last year, which is just giving him this ridiculous floor. So if he does have a decent day, not a great day, but a decent day throwing the football, he's going to continue to be a QB1. So both of these guys, top three quarterbacks, you play them, plug and play them, and you're good to go. We'll we'll go back to the Bills side of the ball real quick because I want to talk about the running back situation. I have Zach Moss and Devin Singletary ranked right next to each other. Moss at 26, Devin Singletary at 27. 
making them both RB3s, making them both disgusting, making them both plays that I wish I could just avoid if at all possible. Again, recognizing that with these bye weeks, week 10 with some of these injuries, you may not have better options. And unfortunately, having them ranked right next to each other doesn't really give you a great window as to which one's a little bit more valuable. It seems the team is moving more and more towards Zach Moss. But even if that's the case, from a total opportunity standpoint, from a total touch standpoint, it's still pretty 50-50. The only thing that I can I feel confident in saying is that when it comes down to the red zone, when it comes down to the goal line carries, that does seem to now be Zach Moss's domain. Because that he has outplayed Devin Singletary over the past couple of weeks. Remember, two weeks ago he had two touchdowns. But the past couple of weeks he has outplayed Devin Singletary at that part of the field pretty, pretty confidently. So that's the only thing that I can really say, which is why I have Zach Moss ranked one spot in front of Devin Singletary, where I would have a little bit more confidence in Moss because I do believe that he at least has a chance. If he doesn't get vultured by Josh Allen himself, he has at least a better chance to score a touchdown. So that's why you have him a little far ahead. You could, like I said, you could play both of them in RB threes, low and RB two fill-ins for your bye week players. Never going to feel good about this situation though, this backfield because it's again, it's even when you start to break down what's the split going to be between a Devin Singletary and a Zach Moss. It's another team out there that we talked about where the bigger question becomes: Are you actually going to involve the backfield at all? And that's not something that's consistent on a week to week basis. So I like Zach Moss a little bit better. Both are RB threes. Both are situations that if I have other options, I will try to avoid it if at all possible. Savon Diggs comes in at wide receiver 12. I've talked about him every single week this year with pretty much the same lens, which is he has as much of a ceiling as anybody else out there, but he has he has almost a Keenan Allen level floor because of the double-digit targets that he's just consistently seeing on a week-to-week basis. And again, this game being one that on paper looks like could be the shootout of the week, Feel pretty good about what Stephon Diggs is going to be able to give you on his return this week. John Brown, missed Wednesday. He's going to miss every single Wednesday for the rest of the year, probably. He's back at practice in full yesterday. He'll probably practice in full again today. John Brown, every single week, in my eyes, as long as he's out there on the field, is a boomer bust wide receiver for option for you that you can play if you're hoping for a big play, especially in games where it looks like on paper it's going to be a shootout like this one. The backside corner for the, for the Cardinals is banged up. Buda Baker is questionable if he's going to play. This opens up doors for guys like a John Brown to possibly be able to get that big play that you're looking for. Now, he actually had a nice floor game. He actually had a a pretty involved target share last week, but we expected that to be the case against Seattle. I, I primed you guys all up for that, and I primed you guys up for the idea that if John Brown had a nice game because of his name value, because of the way that offense is played, because of Josh Allen, that he's somebody you could actually probably put into a package deal to sell for for if you needed a you know a better player down the road like a Nick Chubb. He was that he was that wide receiver three after last week that I thought you could package in and see if you could buy low on a, on a type of player like that before he came back. Um, things of that nature. He'll still be a guy who's a wide receiver for a boomer bust hit for us this week. And again, I stay with the same lens on Cole Beasley. If John Brown's out there, I'm not going to trust playing Cole Beasley because his involvement becomes very much in question as what you're going to see in any given week. It just is. So could he get you that seven-catch performance for 90 yards plus? He could. It's just as likely he gets you two catches for 23 yards. So again... I'm not touching a Cole Beasley when John Brown's out there on the field because it's just too inconsistent. And it's not like he has a super high ceiling to begin with where you're going for a boom or bust option either. So I'm not playing a Cole Beasley. 
flip it over to the Cardinals side of the ball. The big question on everybody's mind is Kenyon Drake actually going to play? What looked like a horrendous ankle injury when it happened, a small tear, a situation where we thought at least it would be a high ankle sprain type of timeline where it would be four to six weeks. This guy has pushed himself and pushed himself and pushed himself, and he's practicing in a limited capacity now both Wednesday and Thursday. We're still waiting on the Cardinals practice report. That'll come out you know, later in the day with them being on the West Coast. But it's looking like Drake, at the very least, could wind up being a game-time decision. Now, if he's out there, how much of a workload he would get? Would he be limited? I'd have to imagine yes. I'd have to imagine that if Drake plays... While it might not be 50-50 completely down the middle between him and a Chase Edmonds, it could be like a 55-45, maybe at best a 60-40 split that I think we're looking at between Drake and Edmonds. I do not believe for a second that if Drake comes back and plays that he's going to be healthy enough to come back and get a full workload as the lead running back for Arizona the way they've treated it before. And even then, he wasn't like he was getting pr- great production. Everybody, if you're a Kenya Drake owner, you're well aware that you were not getting the production out of Drake that you were hoping for this season, even though the volume has been there. And I just don't see that volume. I don't see that 19-20 to 20 carries in this first game back for Drake, where I think, frankly, he's coming back too soon. Now, I understand why he's trying to push himself to come back, because he knows the second Chase Edmonds has a great game, as the lead back, that could be it for him, given his contract situation. So I get why he's trying to push himself to come back, but I think he's coming back too early. I think he's going to be a high risk for re-injury. And if you have Chase Edmonds, I think you need to make sure you're holding on to him because there's a real chance it could still wind up being his backfield again, not just this week because he still could be Jake could still be ruled out. But if he does come back, I think there's a real chance for a re-injury here too. It's not a good situation. I don't think Drake should be coming back this week, but I really think at the end of the day, he's going to probably wind up being a game-time decision. So let's look at it from a different aspect of it. Talked about we think it might be a close split. What is, where does that leave a Drake and an Edmonds in this game? Well, it would leave them both. It would leave Drake as a low-end RB2. It would leave Chase Edmonds as an RB3. I still believe Edmonds probably would wind up being more involved in the passing game even if Drake plays this week, just given you know the ways to take some workload off of Drake. A big one would be not having him involved in the passing work as much. So I think Edmonds is still somebody you could probably play in the flex this week. But you're not going to love the ceiling because you're not going to know what kind of volume you're really getting. Same thing goes with Drake. I think he's somebody you can still play as a low in RB2 because I expect him to get more of the carries if he actually does play. There's a Buffalo defense that running backs have been able to take advantage of. But again, if he doesn't score a touchdown, he has a low floor, and I don't think he's looking at the same volume that he was looking at in weeks past when you were pretty much just getting floor performances out of Kenny and Drake. So you're not going to be left with a feeling of you have a high ceiling out of either one of these guys if Drake plays. Now, let's say Drake does not play. Chase Edmonds would then become a high-end RB2 just because of the volume. Last week, I know he had a ton of volume. Wasn't great against Seattle. You were, or Excuse me, uh, against the Dolphins there. You're expecting more production. But the Dolphins' defense has now, I think, proven to everybody that they're a real deal. This is a real thing. This is not the Dolphins of old. This is a pretty solid defensive group. So while he definitely should have had better numbers, especially based on the volume that he got, no doubt, the Dolphins' defense is definitely better than what this Bills' defense is right now. It just is. So I think Edmonds, if he was to get that kind of volume again this week, I think we would see a much better game. At the very least, we'd see a high floor, and that would make him a, a low, um, not a low-end, a high-end RP2 in my book. So that's what we're looking at from a fantasy value standpoint, depending upon whether or not Drake plays. 
We go to the wide receiver group, DeAndre Hopkins. I know it's been hmm, maybe a little bit more inconsistent than we've grown used to over the past few weeks recently. Still DeAndre Hopkins. We still know he's the number one look. We still know Kyler Murray wants to get him the ball. We still know he's a candidate to get double-digit targets. He comes in my wide receiver two on the week. I don't care that Travius White is guarding him. What did that matter for DK Metcalf? Travius White, while he's a good corner, really has yet to show me that he can actually take away the elite of the elite wide receivers in this league. Really haven't seen that be the case. So I'm not going to worry about it too much from a DeAndre Hopkins standpoint. He's my wide receiver two on the week. The real, the real uh, you know, an analysis here comes with Christian Kirk, who's been on fire. I think he has five weeks now where he's scored in every game. I want to say six touchdowns, if I can remember off the top of my head, maybe seven. Because he had, he had, I think he had two games where he had two touchdowns apiece, so he actually might be at seven now. Over the past five weeks, at over 100 yards last week, he has set himself up as the second wide receiver in this offense. And while all this attention goes to DeAndre Hopkins and they're double covering him and cloud covering him, Christian Kirk's getting one-on-ones. And they already and he already has a rapport going back to college with Kyler Murray. And he's playing really well. And he's playing as a deep threat. And he's a guy you could plug in. We have him at 31 on the week as a wide receiver three with big upside. Especially in this matchup against the Buffalo Bills, which Josh Norman has been a horrendous backside corner. So I like Christian Kirk a lot in a game in which we expect another shootout, possibly. So Christian Kirk's going to be in my lineups, without a doubt. Wide receiver 31, and frankly, that might be a little bit too low. He might he should be probably closer to a wide receiver two. So let's move on here. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. Let's talk about the Los Angeles Rams. This is should be a good game on paper with the Rams coming off the bye. We'll start on that side of the ball. Jared Goff, QB6. Yeah. Jared Goff is my top streaming quarterback of the week. Shouldn't really come as a surprise against Seattle. Especially being that it's at home, where Jared Goff always plays much better. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. O'Reilly Auto Parts specializes in keeping your car on the road. Not sure how much life is left in your battery? Our professional parts people will test it for free. If it does need to be replaced, we'll help you find just the right one to fit your car. Our superstar batteries are built to handle even the toughest conditions. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Coming off the bye, Rashawn McVay is a very good coach, a very good game planner. Playing at Seattle, which is the worst secondary in the entire league. And although Cooper Cup's a little bit banged up at the moment, still has a healthy, healthy enough Cooper Cup where we expect him to be fine for the game. And Robert Woods. He should be okay in this one. Daryl Henderson is somebody who's been questionable, but they have stayed pretty strong on the idea that Henderson is going to play this Sunday. He did come back and practice in limited capacity yesterday, so that bears fruit that that should be the direction in which he's heading. We have him as a low-end RB2, RB19 on the week. It's still Daryl Henderson's job, as long as he's healthy and out there. Now, if he is hindered 
by that injury? Could we see, you know, sprinkle of Malcolm Brown, sprinkle of Cam Akers? Yeah, because this is still a situation in which three running backs could be involved at any given moment. That's why we have Darren Henderson as more of a low-end RB2. Still a good matchup on paper. Should be a high-scoring game. And Henderson, they've been pretty strong on, was going to practice this entire time. He's had two weeks to get healthy, so it's going to be Darren Henderson's ball. We think you can play him as a low-end RB2. I think the big thing comes to the wide receivers. We have Robert Woods, wide receiver three on the week. Cooper Cup, wide receiver seven on the week. When's the last time we were actually able to rank these two guys, not just as high end on wide receiver twos, but both as wide receiver ones? And I know that might seem crazy, but given the matchup, given this situation, being that they're at home, what they're probably going to have to do to be able to keep pace with the Seattle Seahawks in this game in order to win it, you're going to have to lean on those guys. And being that they are such good route runners, both Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, I expect them to have no issues with getting separation in this game. None whatsoever. So I know Cup's banged up. Still at wide receiver seven. Robert Woods should have a great game. And then you're going to see a lot of targets go both their ways. Kind of like in the Dolphins game, except just more efficiency. Because, I mean, that game, we saw Cooper Cup get 20, car- uh, 20 targets. He's not going to get 20 targets in this game, but could both Cup and Robert Woods get double-digit targets? 100%. 100%. I love, at nothing else, I love their floors this week, and they both have the best ceilings that they're going to possibly have. And if they both go off, given the nature of this Rams offense, you might have an opportunity before your dra- trade deadlines kick in, most of them kicking in at week 12, to maybe sell high on a Cooper Cup and a Robert Woods before your playoff stretch. So something to kind of keep in mind there, too. But I'm playing these guys. I'm playing golf, playing Woods, playing Cup with high confidence in this game. And Henderson. The only thing I'm not touching is the tight end situation. Gerald Everett, Tyler Higby, kind of split right now as far as targets go. Higby's still playing ahead, but we know that's because he's a better blocker, which helps us, you know, absolutely zero for fantasy football. So it doesn't really matter. They've kind of rendered their tight ends useless, unfortunately, when it comes to fantasy. We talked about Seattle Seahawks. I don't know if there's a lot to go over here as far as, you know, Russell Wilson, top five quarterback. Tyler Lockett, I know he's been a more boomer bust option as of late, but he's still a, you know, a high-end wide receiver, too, with a high ceiling. Even last week, where he only had four catches for 40 yards, I believe it was, he still was in a situation where he could have had two touchdowns. There was a target. It would have been a tough play, but there was one where the ball, he did have a shot at it in the end zone, and he also got tackled to the one-yard line on one of his catches early on in that game. So he was in line where he possibly could have had two touchdowns last week. And just given his offense, the way Russell Wilson's playing, even though he's been a little bit more boomer bust, I think Lock is somebody you have to continue to play every single week in your lineups. I don't think you question that too much. You just know you might be dealing with a little bit of a floor, especially if it's DK Metcalf going crazy that week, which could happen any given week. And DK Metcalf, of course, is a wide receiver one. He's a top 10 wide receiver for us this week. No surprise there. The only question is Chris Carson. Now, they're optimistic about Chris Carson, but he still has not practiced to this point. Again, West Coast, we might not find out about this until later uh, later on today. But he still doesn't practice. I can't see him playing if he doesn't practice again today. Now, if he does, as of right now, we have him ranked at RB20 if he does play. And as far as Carlos Hyde is concerned, from what we understand, Chris Carson's closer to returning to the field than Carlos Hyde is. So if Chris Carson can't return to the field this week or if it's very questionable or a game-time decision, we don't expect Carlos Hyde to be out there. So what does that mean? Well, DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, they kind of split up the workload last week. 
I still believe when they get in close, it's going to be more DJ Dallas. But now you have to also throw in the fact that Alex Collins could be a little bit more involved after he finally came back to the NFL last week. I don't know how much I'm gung-ho about playing DJ Dallas or really any of the Seattle running backs if it's not Chris Carson. I don't know how gung-ho I am about that. And the Rams have actually been pretty tough for running backs to begin with. So I don't know if I'm looking to play a DJ Dallas, if I can all help it. But if Carson doesn't go, he would probably be the highest ranked because he has the best chance for a touchdown, and he would be a low in RB3. So just kind of give you an idea there. Let's move on to the 49ers and the Saints. Jarek McKinnon comes in at RB21. Again, Nick Mullins is a starter. Therefore, Jarek McKinnon, we believe, will be the starter. And even though we don't expect him to have a good day against the Saints on the ground, He'll be involved enough in the passing game to have a decent floor, making him a low-end RB2. It's not going to be pretty. I don't think you have potential for a high-ceiling game or anything like that, but there's going to be a floor there. Brandon Ayuk comes in at wide receiver 30. We are leaning towards Debo Samuel not being able to return in this game. We did get word today before we came on the show, though, that Kendrick Bourne is going to travel with the team, has been cleared. So he'll be out there. But we know that means Brandon Ayuk will be the number one target. Now, that also means that he'll probably be shadowed by Lattimore. But we know Ayuk's going to get involved in end-arounds. We know they're going to move him around. And outside of him and Jordan Reed, I don't know how many dependable pass catchers Shanahan feels like he has right now. So just due to pure potential volume and the fact that we expect the 49ers to have to get a decent amount of garbage time because I think they're going to be trailing and having to come back in the entire second half. I think Brandon Ayuk becomes a wide receiver three in that instance. Jordan Reed, unfortunately, number eight tight end on the week. And I say that unfortunately because it's not going to be a situation you feel great about. But we've seen Jordan Reed. I know last, I know against the Packers he didn't do much, but that was his first game back on practice. And he was really activated more out of necessity than them really wanting to activate him that particular week. This was more the week that they were thought he would be closer to be 100% for. But we know that he has the opportunity to score a touchdown. We know Nick Mullins will target him. He's done it before in the past. And really, rest of season is where it's interesting for a Jordan Reed because with no more George Kittle, if he can stay healthy, I think he actually has a consistent opportunity share heading his direction. So it's not just that I don't feel great about it for this week, but it's the fact that you pick up Jordan Reed. He can potentially be a top 10 tight end for you this week, and he's somebody that you can maybe hold on to. Now remember, they do have a bye week in Week 11. When you're in a situation you're streaming tight ends... Jordan Reed is somebody who can maybe lock down that position for you and at least give you a decent floor to count on it each and every week. Let's move into the Saints. With all of his weapons back, with the 49ers in dire straits, and I don't think a team in a situation that could put a lot of pressure on them offensively, I do have Drew Brees as QB 13. I think he has a much higher floor now that Michael Thomas is back, that Emmanuel Sanders is back, that he has his full plethora of weapons. So while he still doesn't hasn't looked great, I look at that Tampa Bay game, and even though I throw it out from a Tampa Bay perspective, from the Saints perspective, I look at it this way. When you have your full arsenal of weapons, Breeze looks like he's, I know, mentally, he's just as sharp as ever, and now he has one-on-one-on-one-on-one. Who has the best matchup? Because now you can't cloud cover Michael Thomas because you actually have a competent wide receiver in Emmanuel Sanders. So have Jared Cook in the middle. So have Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield. So with that, the game breaks down real simply. And this could be similar, you know, not as you know high of a ceiling, but kind of like what Peyton Manning did 
that year with the Denver Broncos where he didn't physically he didn't have the talent anymore, but he know he knew mentally where to go with the ball, and he had so many good weapons that he could kind of just spread it out and give the guys one-on-one and give them chances to make plays. Drew Brees is kind of a similar situation now. So that while San Francisco's defense, as banged up as they've been, has been very solid still, I still have this game with the Saints at home, Drew Brees being QB 13 on the week, very much a viable play for you, depending on what your situation is. Alvin Kamara, RB2. I know it hasn't been as great as of late, but it's Alvin Kamara. He's an elite RB1. He'll be involved in the passing game. Highest of floors. You're good to go there. Michael Thomas, wide receiver 8. I think last week was a good showing for him from a physical standpoint. Five catches, 56 yards. I think he'll continue to be more involved. I think he'll continue to get more targets. And he's a top 10 wide receiver for us because he's Michael Thomas. He's one of the best wide receivers in the game. And I think the corners of the 49ers are not good enough to be able to keep up. And Emmanuel Sanders is a low-end wide receiver three because he is benefiting and will continue to benefit from the attention that Michael Thomas is going to have to draw. And he's been starting to get more in rhythm with Drew Brees as of late, too. Jared Cook, funny enough, though, is not somebody we have sniffing the top 12 this week. His opportunities have gone way down each and every week so far, and now Michael Thomas back in the lineup I think he's pretty much in that category of touchdown or bust guy, and you're not expecting you know that five to seven target share, so he doesn't really have a floor. Picking up the pace a little bit, we got the Cincinnati Bengals, we got the Pittsburgh Steelers. Burrow, top fifteen quarterback, you can throw the ball in the Steelers. You can. Now I do worry about his floor because the Steelers are so good at dominating the line of scrimmage, and you know they're going to do it against Cincinnati Bengals. But the volume, I think, will give Burrow a decent floor. Enough so where if you have Burrow as your quarterback, you've been streaming quarterbacks and you finally locked on to Joe Burrow, I'm not going to drop Joe Burrow for another option. If I have a player I can burn and maybe pick up a Jared Goff and play him over Joe Burrow, fine. But I'm not going to be dropping Joe Burrow because he's going to be a top 10 quarterback more times than not for the rest of the season. Just given the volume that he's been putting out there and he's been playing very well with his weapons that he has. Just not a great game. Joe Mixon, before we got the news, of course, he was going to be RB15 for us on the week, a mid-tier RB2. We could pretty much... I don't know if Bernard's going to be 15 or not, but he can pretty much slide Bernard into that same range of that RB2 area now that we know it's probably going to be him. They haven't officially ruled Mixon out, but he didn't practice at all. Tyler Boyd, wide receiver 11. T. Higgins, wide receiver 26. Again, the wide receivers have had success against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And a game in which we would expect Cincinnati to have to come back from behind for there to be garbage time points. I think you have high floors for both of those guys. The only one I'm staying away from is A.J. Green. I got to see them get back on the point where he is that third heavily targeted wide receiver because before they went into the bye, it looked like maybe Alden Tate had usurped him from a snap standpoint and from a target standpoint. That's something I'm going to have to see play out coming out of the bye week, so I'm not going to be playing an A.J. Green in this game. On the Steelers' side of the ball, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be healthy enough to go, which is great news because... I mean, technically, he still has to clear the concussion, uh, the COVID reserve list protocols, but he's tested negative so far this week. They expect to be able to actually activate him tomorrow, so he should be okay for Sunday. Wasn't able to practice this week, virtual. I get all that. We saw, you know, that you know, kind of play out with Matthew Stafford. We wasn't as sharp, but it's not like Ben roethlisberger has been doing a whole lot this year. Anyway, he's kind of playing back. He has so many weapons that he can kind of just let the game come to him. He can look for who has the best matchup. I don't expect that to change. It's not a tough defense here with the Cincinnati Bengals. And more importantly, it's in Pittsburgh. So I talked about, you know, a couple days ago that the Steelers were kind of like the Philadelphia Eagles where they'll tend to play down to their opponent. But the other factor with the Steelers is when they're on the road. 
not only do they play down their opponent, but they also don't play as well on the road. At least Ben Roethlisberger doesn't play as well on the road. So the fact that this game's at home in a divisional matchup, I don't have as big of a concern of the Steelers playing down to their opponent necessarily. So I think he'll be okay. I think he is a low-end streaming option, depending on what's available to you. But the most important thing is that he keeps guys like Deontay Johnson at wide receiver 2 level, keeps Chase Claypool at a wide receiver 3 level, keeps Juju Smith-Schuster at a high-end wide receiver 3, low-end wide receiver 2 level. As long as he's out there, all three of those guys are guys that I'm comfortable and confident in playing and getting production out of. Eric Ebron, believe it or not, my number one tight end on the week. The Bengals are terrible against tight ends, first and foremost. And even with all those weapons as pass catchers, Ebron's been consistently involved, five to seven targets every single week. It's been crazy, but he is, and he's getting red zone targets. So from a floor standpoint, from a ceiling standpoint, from the available tight end standpoint this week, Eric Ebron's my number one tight end on the week. Unbelievable, but he is. That's where we are now, tight end. James Conner, he's my RB7. I did put him in the top 10 again. I'm going to chalk up last week to one of those, the game script, the game plan, whatever happened in that game, Ben Robs for getting hurt, that the Steelers just kind of let that game, from a play-calling standpoint, get away from them a little bit. James Conner, even though snap count-wise left a lot of people concerned, when you actually look at the touches, it wasn't close. It was still Conner's backfield. It's another good matchup. I think there will be an emphasis to get Connor more involved in this game, get the running game itself more involved in this game to take some pressure off of Big Ben and keep him healthy because they need him healthy if they want to continue the run that they are on right now. So let's move into the Ravens and the Patriots. Not playing, not playing a single Patriot player. Jacoby Myers, if you're in the deepest of leagues and you need a flex play, you can maybe go to him because even though I don't love the matchup, I don't love his ceiling, I do think there's going to be targets heading his way, so there's an argument that he'll at least have a floor for you. He won't goose you. There'll be something there. Outside of that, it's not even a conversation. Will Damian Harris play? Probably. Do I care? No. They're not going to be able to run the football in the Baltimore Ravens. Not playing Cam Newton, because the only value he really gives you is running the football. I don't think he's going to have great success rushing the football against one of the best defensive front sevens in the NFL who are as athletic and as fast and as big as Cam Newton is anyway up front, even without Calais Campbell, which they probably won't have this week. Actually, they definitely won't have this week. Doesn't matter. Not playing a single Patriot player in this game at all. Really don't think that should come as a shock. On the flip side, I think Lamar Jackson has a chance to get back to being top five. That Patriots defense not only played terrible against the Jets, but they really haven't been sharp at all this year. Now they do, they probably get Stephon Gilmore back for this game. So maybe that affects Marquise Brown, who we have at wide receiver 14 a little bit more. But this is a chance. This is an opportunity for this Ravens passing attack especially to get right and get their guys involved. Mark Andrews is tight end seven for us. If he doesn't score in this game, then I will send up the red flag and I will talk about Mark Andrews maybe being a guy who just has to be a streaming option you don't have to own. But right now, I'm still strong on I think Mark Andrews can be a top 10 tight end, will be a guy who gets back into the end zone more times than not, and stay as your solidified tight end guy who can give you an advantage at the position. But here it is. Here's the matchup that they need because you're going to be able to run the football. Now, it's annoying that Mark Ingram's going to be back because, again, if Mark Ingram's back, that means I don't want to play Dobbins, I don't want to play Edwards, and I don't want to play Mark Ingram. Because the rotation of the three of them just kills each other's fantasy upside. But it still should be effective. That means play-action pass should be there. 
mean they should be able to get this passing attack going. If they don't this game, it probably won't happen. So I'm going to go on the optimism that I believe in the talents. I believe in the situation. Lamar Jackson, top five quarterback. Marquise Brown, wide receiver 14. I'm playing these guys. Mark Andrews, tight end seven. Playing these guys, and I'm playing them with confidence in this match against the Patriots defense. That's a Sunday night game too, by the way. Let's move into the Monday night game. We got the Vikings and the Bears. This might wind up being an ugly Monday night game. It might be a boring one. It might be a low-scoring one. I think there's a good chance that it will be. Because Dalvin Cook, although he's our number one running back on the week because you can't deny what he's done the past couple of weeks, the Chicago defense is for real. And I don't think this is going to be a game where you're going to see Dalvin Cook breaking off 15-yarders every time he touches the ball. So, he has a little bit lower of a ceiling, I guess you could say, but he's still our number one guy because he's absolutely on fire. He's absolutely tremendous. And it doesn't really matter what defense he's playing against. He can still always carve him up, and he's involved in the passing game. But I do think Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson will be a little bit more involved. Adam Thielen coming in as a wide receiver two. Justin Jefferson a low-end wide receiver two. The perimeter is where you can attack Chicago if you have decent wide receivers. We saw A.J. Brown have a good game against them. You can attack them a little bit, especially in that zone coverage. The question's going to be, it's Monday night and it's Kirk Cousins. That's going to be the problem. That's where these two wide receivers both have low floors coming into this matchup. Because it's a primetime game and their quarterback is Kirk Cousins, unfortunately. I'm still going to play them as wide receiver twos. I'm still going to play Justin Jefferson as a boomer bust option because there's, I believe Kirk Cousins will have to throw the ball more than 18 times in this game, probably closer to 25 to 30. That should give them some extra opportunities that they haven't really had over the past couple of weeks. But again, there is going to be a low floor risk factor given Kirk Cousins a primetime game and given that Chicago's defense has played really, really well. Flip it on the other side. I can't believe this. I had to double-check this one, too. But uh, Nick Foles is actually my QB 13 on the week. He managed to get 300 yards last week. Even if it happens in completely ugly, terrible fashion late in the game in garbage time against this Minnesota defense, there's a chance he could pull it off again this week. And that's why he winds up being a QB 13. I don't want to stream him if you have other options available to you. But if you're super desperate because of this matchup, I would have to think about it. Now, there is a caveat to that. We are doing that ranking based on the idea that Allen Robinson is going to play. Who got hurt in practice yesterday? Had to leave early with a knee issue. We don't know how serious it is. We haven't gotten the practice report from the Chicago Bears as of yet today to see if he's able to get back out there and practice again today. If Allen Robinson does not play, then Nick Foles' ranking will drop for us. On the flip side of that is Allen Robinson himself. He's a must-play. We had him at wide receiver four. I have a top five wide receiver this week. Given the matchup, given his target share that he sees on a given week with Nick Foles, at quarterback, he's as trustworthy, has as high of a floor, as much of a ceiling as really anybody out there. But again, he's now dealing with an injury that he wasn't dealing with last week. So we're going to have to keep our eyes on that. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at BillyUpMDFFShow. We'll keep you up to date on Allen Robinson throughout the weekend. It's something you're going to have to watch. David Montgomery is another guy. He's questionable. Practice on limited capacity. We're going to wait and see on him, too. Also another guy. It's tougher with these Monday night games because they don't have to give those reports, really. We don't know a lot until Saturday. So, again, follow us on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll keep you up to date. If David Montgomery can go, we have him in RB9. Yeah, I have him a top 10 running back. The volume has given him a high floor, a solid RB2 floor every single week. And when he scores a touchdown, he flirts with that low-end RB1 territory. This is a prime matchup for him to score a touchdown in. 
that's pretty much that's what it boils down to, really, from a fantasy standpoint. That's where David Montgomery's at. Even though it could still not be pretty, given this matchup, given he, he has probably a better than 50% chance to score a touchdown in this one, he comes in right there. So that's going to do it for our late window of games because I'm not playing anybody else in Chicago Bears. Oh, I'm excuse- no, no, I take that back. Jimmy Graham. Yes, <laughs> Jimmy Graham comes in. He is a top 10 tight end for us this week. You do play Jimmy Graham. He's getting really good priority targets in there. Uh, unfortunately, we went a little bit long, so I'm not going to be able to do the mailbag segment for you guys. But I did answer these questions on social media, and I will answer any fantasy football comment, question, rant, anything. I will give you my two cents on if you hit us up on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. Make sure you're checking out the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app on Android or WWSRN on iOS. Make sure you're checking us out, too, on your favorite streaming app if you missed the show live. Follow us here at BellyUp. FantasySports.com for our updated rankings. I'll come to you guys throughout the weekend. Everyone, I hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay healthy, especially with all the rising cases of Corona. Everybody, please stay healthy out there. Have fun on Sunday, and I hope you guys are able to win your matchups. We'll be back on Tuesday, actually, this week, so I'm going to have a little bit of a break uh, this week. So we'll be back on Tuesday with the full Week 10 recap and the waiver wire report for you guys. So make sure you stay tuned for that. We'll be back then. Everyone take care, stay safe, and have a good time this weekend. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.